Hello, I'm Janus. And I'm Tessa. Welcome to our podcast that celebrates wordiness and nerdiness and sometimes plain absurdiness. Please join us for today's episode of Your Your New New Favorite Favorite Word. Welcome to another week of Your New Favorite Word. This is episode five, which we can hardly believe. High five, Jameis. High five. We wanted to let you know that we've got a Facebook page up and running. If you haven't liked and followed us there, you can find us at facebook.com slash your new favorite word. Thanks to all our subscribers and reviewers. We're thrilled to hear from you all and love to hear how you've incorporated our nerdy wordiness into your day. Reviewer Nightwing Mistalk says, If you're interested in the history of words, this podcast is for you. Overly Active 11 tells us, I have already run into many times where I've shared some of the things I've learned in this podcast with friends and family. Thanks so much for sharing. We'd love to hear that. In previous episodes, we've prepared our segments in secret. This time, we're trying something a little different. We wanted to see what would happen if we started with the same word. As you'll see, our different approaches to research and the way our minds work led us to very different places. We thought this might give you a glimpse into our thought processes as we follow the twisty little passages that we discover along the way. So the word that we started with was flabbergast. This is a word that I've always enjoyed the sound of. I'm very drawn to fun sounding words. And so I was interested in where this word might have come from. Interestingly, though, like many words that sound fun, it has a very short etymology. (laughs) It um, came about in around 1772. It was mentioned in a magazine article along with the word bored as new vogue words of the year. (laughs) I can't imagine a a world where bored wasn't a word. Seriously. Um, But it says it's of uncertain origin. And there are a couple of different theories about that. But um, the word itself said that it's um, most likely not separable into definite elements or traceable to a definite origin. So that's where we started from. So Jameis, where did you go from there? So from flabbergast, like you, I love the sound of that word. It's just It fills your mouth in a really fun and satisfying way. So I started by looking at synonyms for flabbergast. And some of them are pretty mundane. Astonish, astound, daze, dumbfound, uh, stagger. But one of them jumped out at me and it was gobsmack. (laughs) Oh, that's a great word. (laughs) I mean, that is a fun word to say too. And it's surprisingly of very recent origin. Like it only kind of, I think it only appeared in the 80s. Oh, okay. And uh, and that's the 1980s. Um, that's surprising. But it comes from gob, which is a slang term meaning mouth, and smack. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it smacked me in the mouth. I, I was utterly gobsmacked by that. <laughs> Again, the same meaning, to astound or astonish. So as I, I dug in a little bit more, I kind of went a little further afield and looked for words with you know broader and broader semantic relationships to flabbergast. And I came into the field of from astound and astonished to confuse. Mm-hmm. And a word there is flummox. Okay. Another fantastic <laughs> that word. sounds like a Dr. Seuss word to me. It does. It even looks like a Dr. Seuss word <laughs> with the double M and the X. We should do an entire episode on Dr. Seuss words. <laughs> that would be fun. We should totally do that. 
went from flummox to other words meaning to confuse or baffle. And this is where things got really interesting because a really fun word for to baffle or to bully or to harass is buffalo. (laughs) (laughs) To buffalo can mean to harass or bully or confuse or confound someone. And it turns out there's a a bunch of sentences that follow a particular uh, syntactic structure that consists of only the same word repeated over and over again, but are still semantically and syntactically correct English sentences. And one of them is uses the word buffalo because it has multiple meanings. This harks back to last week's episode with homonyms, right? Mm-hmm. So here we have capitonyms because <laughs> buffalo capitalized refers to a city. Mm-hmm. Buffalo, New York. And it can also, not capitalized, refer to an animal, you know, the, the bison. And it can refer as a verb to, to harass or bully. And so put together... <laughs> It makes a sentence that reads, Buffalo, 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 Buffalo. <laughs> Could you translate that for us, please? <laughs> well, it's English. But using other words for this, it means city animals, that city animals harass, harass city animals. <laughs> but that structure is used for several other similar sentences where words hold multiple meanings. So I'm going to have you read one for us, Tessa. Police, 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 (laughs) police. (laughs) It's literally eight words in a sentence, all police. Three of them are capitalized. I don't know how to say that. (laughs) (laughs) But here, the, the capitalized police refers to a city in Poland. Oh. And so the sentence translated means... Cops from police Poland, whom cops from Poland patrol, patrol cops from Poland. Because <laughs> police, as a noun, is the the force that enforces laws. And as a verb, it means to patrol or enforce. And so you have police, 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 police. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Okay, now let's do the can-can one. <laughs> You really want to do the can-can? I don't think they're going to be able to see that. Can-can-can-can-can-can-can? <laughs> Can-can-can-can-can-can. <laughs> I don't know. This one's interesting because there's different versions that have different numbers of can, mm-hmm. and it can be interpreted in multiple different ways, apparently. But the one I pulled has 12 instances of the word can. And it, it takes advantage of the fact that can-can refers to a dance, can is an old word meaning skill or knowledge as a, as a noun. <laughs> and can as a verb can mean to trash, like to throw in the can, or to be able to. So translated, you get dance knowledge that dance knowledge trashes is able to trash dance knowledge. Okay, I want to hear how you pronounce that. Okay. Can, 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 can. I think I missed a can in there, but that's the There's idea. a missing can. <laughs> sorry, that probably ruined the whole meaning of the sentence for oh, you. Oh, yes. I didn't understand at that time. I'm sorry. So, but there's a bunch of these lexically ambiguous sentences that are used to demonstrate different syntactic and semantic issues with the English language. Another really fun one takes advantage of the word had. And many of our listeners have probably heard this one before. But this is one where you write it out and then you challenge someone to 
put punctuation in in a way that <laughs> makes the sentence make sense. But here's the sentence without any emphasis or punctuation. James Wild John had 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 a better effect on the teacher. <laughs> so plugging in the punctuation and and emphasis, you get James while John had 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 a better effect on the teacher. <laughs> it's so fun the way English. I mean, not just English, other languages too. The ambiguity inherent in language introduces a playfulness mm-hmm. that people take advantage of. I mean, that's where puns come from. That's mm-hmm. where jokes come from. People playing with their language. Yes. Okay, another one. I'm going to do a few more of these. But this one is interesting because there's four different ways that this can be interpreted. You want to read this one? It's the that. <laughs> That that is, is, that that is not, is not, is that it, it is. I'm totally botching <laughs> it, I'm sure. You should just tell when us. When there's how no it really meaning is. behind yeah. it, it's so hard to read it. So, anyway, one way to interpret this is that that is, is, that that is not, is not. Is that it? It is. <laughs> <laughs> Punctuation missing makes all the difference. Makes a big difference. But yeah, there's like four different. Ways to interpret that sentence, to parse it. Mm. Each of them introduces a different nuance or different meaning. Now, my favorite one was offered by Martin Gardner, who was a popular math and science writer. He offered this classic. Now, brace yourself, because this one's (laughs) crazy. Thanks for not making me read this one. I won't make you read this one. (laughs) Wouldn't the sentence, I want to put a hyphen between the words fish and 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 chips in my fish and chips sign have been clearer if quotation marks had been placed before fish and between fish and and, and 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 chips as well as after chips. How many ands was that in a row? Let's see, that was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, 21 ands in a row. Wow. And he made it work. But you almost have to read it to make sense of it, like trying to listen Impossible. Yeah. yeah, you lost me, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and then another fantastic example, not in English. There's a Chinese poem written in the 1930s by a Chinese linguist called Lion-Eating Poet in the Stone Den. Now, obviously, that's the English translation of the title. The poem itself consists of 92 words, all of which are pronounced xi in Mandarin Chinese, <laughs> differing only in tone. I am not going to read this because I do not speak Mandarin. But it's such a fascinating example of that ambiguity. This poem is barely comprehensible to a native Mandarin speaker listening to it. Mm. But reading it, it makes total sense because it's different Chinese characters that have different meanings. And so they make sense when you're read. We will include a link to this in the the liner notes because there's a YouTube video of uh, a native Mandarin speaker <laughs> reciting this poem. And it's that pretty, like pretty spectacular. So I'm going to end with the last word that my journey took me to. It went, we went from flabbergast, which was astonished, to flummox, which is confused, to buffalo, which is to confuse or bully. I'm going to end with codswallop, <laughs> <laughs> meaning nonsense, because that's what a lot of these sentences mean. So is that your new favorite word? I think officially? that might be my new favorite word, even though, again, like flabbergast, the etymology is really confused. Hmm. Um, but it's just 
It fills the mouth very satisfactorily. Wonderful. Thank you. Absolutely. What about you, Tessa? Where did your research take you? Okay. Well, I also, starting at Flabbergast, went to synonyms. So I looked at the synonym to floor. So to be floored by something. And obviously that comes from a bigger idea of being knocked to the floor by something being so shocking or surprising. But... I thought about that. We can just say the word floor and have it mean not just the physical object of the floor, but have it mean Mm -hmm. I was knocked to the floor. I was floored. And we took a noun and we created a verb out of it. We verbed that (laughs) word. That reminds me of a wonderful classic um, Calvin and Hobbes comic. And I will definitely put the links to that in the show notes where he says, I like to verb words. That's Calvin speaking to Hobbes. And um, he says, I take nouns and adjectives and use them as verbs. Remember when access was a thing? Now it's something you do. It got verbed. Verbing weirds language. (laughs) You might have seen that as a meme on the internet, but that comes from the wonderful mind of Calvin and Calvin and Hobbes verbing weirds language. I love it. Yes. So this is something that I often do and we often do playfully in our family. We verb words. I feel like my degree in linguistics gives me a license to do that (laughs) on a regular basis. But I wanted to know a little bit more about this process of verbing words. And there's actually a more technical term for it. It's called denominalization. But this word itself, denominalization, does not show up in the dictionary (laughs) because it is another form of a word that is being verbed. So so denominals are words that have been (laughs) unnounded. Interesting. Yes. So we take a noun and we change it into another part of speech. We shift its function. And we change it into an adjective or an adverb or a verb, something like that. Um, and so then... So a, a denominal is a word that that process has happened to. Yes. Okay. And then to denominalize is itself an example of denominalization. So you can see me swooning over here with the beauty <laughs> the of meta. this. It's just <laughs> it's very layer meta. layer. <laughs> yes, I'm swooning. Um, so... There are different opinions about verbing words. And some people call them innovative verbs. They are interested in why we can understand the meaning so readily when we change the function of a word. Why can we still understand what's going on? And there's a really cool article um, written in 1979 by E.V. Clark and Herbert H. Clark called When Nouns Surface as Verbs. I will put a link to that in the show notes. It's a very fascinating article. They are um, looking at kind of the, the processes behind how we understand verbing. And they call them vivid linguistic shortcuts. I love that description of words that have been verbed. They talk about our use of economy in language. They're a way to really quickly express what we mean in a a small number of words. Other people, however, disagree. Benjamin Franklin, for example, was not a fan. He said that 
these types of words are awkward and abominable. There are more modern writers who warn us about becoming desensitized to verbing. Um, they <laughs> ask dangers. us. They ask us to decide if we are a verbing perpetrator. <laughs> there is one writer who calls it a linguistic crime to verb words too that's, often. That's strong opinions. Yes, and another. This is my favorite. He says. We'd like to guilt some writers and speakers into the habit of using words better instead of creating mutants the language doesn't need. And I wonder if the irony was lost on this writer using the word guilt as a verb in that <laughs> sentence. So that's my question. That's great. I 100% disagree with this point of view. I feel like language changes and evolves according to the creativity of its users. Language was made for man, not man for language or humanity, to be more politically correct. (laughs) I, of course, have my own linguistic pet peeves, and we will probably do some episodes on some of those. But I feel like we should feel like we can play with language, and verbing is a way to play with language and to make it do what we want it to do. And there's a linguist, a Steven Pinker, who says that easy conversion of nouns to verbs has been part of English grammar for centuries. It's one of the processes that make English English. And I love that point of view. I agree with that. 100%. Yes. And um, as you might guess, Shakespeare was actually the king of denominalization. He did this so often, created verbs out of nouns. And today in our world, on the internet, these things spread much faster than they have in the past. They also might be lost from the language more quickly than in the past because of new things coming on the scene. But one aspect of this that's really fascinating to me is the use of names as verbs. So, for example, brand names, this happens a lot. Uh, We have the services of Venmo or PayPal. They themselves are a service, a noun, a thing, but we often say, I will Venmo you, I will PayPal you. Uber, FaceTime or Skype, Photoshop. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. Yeah. Google. (laughs) How long did it take for someone, the first person to say, I will Google that? Probably not very long after the invention of Google. Things you might not recognize as brand names. Sheetrock, for example. Really? Is a brand name and has definitely become a verb Mm -hmm. in our culture. Bubble wrap, Velcro. (laughs) So these are types of names, but then we also have people's names. One of my favorite recent names that has become a verb is Marie Kondo. (laughs) Yes. We all know what it means to Marie Kondo your life or Marie Kondo your apartment or Marie Kondo your business or whatever. She has become synonymous with minimalization. These types of words, a name that has become a verb is called an eponymous verb from the word eponym. Mm. So an eponym is a word that has started out as a noun, but has come to be used as another part of speech such as an adjective, adverb, or in this case, a verb. And there are several examples that you may or may not be familiar with. Some of these I 
had thought of and some of them I had not. So to hypnotize or enthrall. Do you know a word that would mean that? That's based on someone's name. Mesmerize. Exactly, right? Someone's last name, Mesmer. Yeah. Okay. To lynch, right? To execute without due process of law, especially to hang. That comes from someone's name. Interesting. I did not realize that. To pasteurize dairy products, right? Louis Pasteur. This one, I did not know. To abstain from using, buying, or dealing with as a protest or means of coercion. To boycott. Oh, that's a name. Boycott was someone's name. So that's an interesting story to look up the history of that word based on his name. And then gerrymander. To divide a state, county, or city into voting districts to give unfair advantage to one party in elections. And then just, I just wanted to um, leave you with, there was another article online called Eponyms, or I Seem to Be a Verb. <laughs> and the question on there just really intrigued me. It said, if you became a word, what would it mean? Oh, so that's thought provoking. Yeah. So I would love to hear anyone's answers to that question. Very cool. Thanks, Tessa. That's really fun. Fascinating stuff. Thanks to all our listeners for joining us this week. If you haven't liked or subscribed yet, please do. We appreciate all your feedback and love to hear from you. And if you've discovered any fascinating words of your own, let us know. What's your new favorite word? 